You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 230 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited about this week's topic, which is from personal projects to a book deal with Craig Wetgen. That's yes. awesome. I, I'm yeah, very yeah. keen to hear from Craig. Now, um, it is this episode is the second episode of 2019, but we are pre-recording this because of your big travel extravaganza that you won't reveal to any of us because you're actually a spy, apparently. Mm. So um, we're recording this a little bit earlier and that means we've still got the alcohol left over from the last session Yeah, and we just want to reinforce to everyone we don't actually drink all the time at all, only on special occasions, usually Mm. the New Year's podcast, but because we had to do some pre-records in a row, the same alcohol is continuing. Is so right? we're actually having our break up for the year, aren't we, Val? And this is our this is it. Yep. Sorry, I had to. Have, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So professional. <laughs> so professional. What have you been up to, Gina? What in the last since the last five minutes that I last spoke to you? Well, what are you going to be doing between now and when you take off on your big secret? Oh secret my god! Washing undies, trying to get the possum out of the house. So oh. it's a standoff at this. So the regular listeners will know that mm. I did have uh, a number, maybe seven hundred possums living in my roof. Seven thousand went to considerable lengths to get them removed and, and also expense. rehoused. Yes, so I created uh, like uh, beautiful new homes for them outside Mm -hmm. up in the trees so they would have somewhere warm to live. I was considerate. And the possum man that came around warned me that they would try and get back in, and they did. So there was many nights where they'd be out the window trying to get back, open windows and get in. And then there was a lull where I'm like, I won. But they've found a new way in, and they're getting in via my ensuite. Through the louver windows, they've managed to work out a way to open those and get in. So there is one or two living in the house. I believe they're living in the in and around the air conducts during the day, and then at some point in the night they go out. So I hear them. I get up. I look for them, but I haven't been successful in finding them yet. So they should still make friends. There. Make friends with them. Well, no, Give I'm them a, like I've, I've been feeding them. I have. I've made. Maybe that's why they keep er- coming back, Gina. Er- no, but they've got to eat. So <laughs> if I don't feed them, Val, they, they eat all my flowers oh. and any veggies that I'm growing. So, like, I'm giving them their own food and like trying to keep them at bay that way. But it's 
yeah, I've got to now find a way to uh, find them and get them out of the house. So problems, problems. God knows, God problems. knows what I'm going to come home to. Okay, <laughs> we're all going to move in while I'm away. All right, oh, so this isn't so you want to be a possum collector. Catch a possum, yeah. Yeah, but before we move on to photography, I understand, Gina, that you've come round to something that I oh. recommended to you and you poo-pooed for uh, some time. Again, but... not photography-related, but <laughs> yes, Valerie Koo. Okay, so, and, you know, I just want to say for the record that I did tell you this off-air, Val, and how gracious you were in accepting my apology <laughs> not. Like, I said, hey, Val, I owe you an apology. You did recommend a Netflix series called Ozark, and uh, I poo-pooed it at the start, but I've now watched the first episode. It was nothing like I thought it would be. I thought it would be the poor man's uh, Breaking Bad. It's nothing like it, and it's actually really, really good. I owe you an apology. And what did you say? I don't know. I'm sure I was gracious. You weren't at all. <laughs> what did I say? I don't know. There was a lot of eye rolling. <laughs> Can you even And even speak? though, you know, I can't even see you, I could feel the <laughs> eye roll. It was massive. But, yeah, anyway, okay, Val, so I'm a bigger, big enough person to admit when I'm wrong and you were right and thank you for that recommendation. Well, yeah, That's Ozark great. is fantastic and Jason Bateman is unreal. And you know how you want to date Brad Pitt? I want to date mm. Jason Bateman. Hmm. I should set that as one of my goals. Is his sister Justine Bateman from? Family Ties, yes. Yeah. Wow. Correct. Yes. That's a talented family. Yes, it is a talented family. Should uh, we talk about photography? Let's talk point? about photography. So um, one of the things that you have been busy with is the gold community as well, right? Yeah, so we've got. Uh, I'm getting ready for the AMA that's coming up. Uh, the Ask so that's Me Anything. The Ask Me Anything, and then also with the members, we've been workshopping different lighting styles. And so what I do is like to create like different lighting templates that I show them um, how to light because it's it can get really intricate and uh, often there are techniques that you just can't get tutorials on or they tend to gloss over stuff so yep. I go right into the nuts and bolts of all of that and make sure that my tutorials are super detailed and Val what I like to do because like we all know I've, I've, I've been really honest about this I have uh, difficulty in I always thought that I had learning difficulties as I was going through school because like often in the class when a new concept was introduced I was the last one to get it and I always thought that, that was my fault but then I heard this really great quote that someone said about if you're having problems understanding a concept it's maybe it's the teacher's fault maybe yeah you know so I learn like there's a couple of different ways, but I'm very visual in the way I learn. So if something's explained to me and there are um, 
detailed diagrams that also reinforce what I'm learning, it makes it 100% easier for me and the penny drops. So that's why when I uh, create my courses and eBooks and do these tutorials for the goal community, I make sure that they're really diagram heavy that so that mm. you can see what I'm explaining at a glance. So it's like not only do I explain it, uh, write it out and also I cover all bases and then I show you as well and then I think that that helps everyone understand. So that that's what we've been working on in the goal community this week, Val. The way Gina explains things is so understandable and simple and relatable. Uh, I think that uh, it's so worth it to to be able to work with Gina and get advice from her. And if you'd like to find out more about the gold community, have a listen to this. Hey guys, are you an enthusiast or pro photographer who wants to take their photography to the next level? I'd love the opportunity to work with you and I want to introduce you to my gold community. The gold community is an educational resource where members get access to photography courses and regular tutorials. There's over 200 tutorials with more being added each month. In these tutorials, I take you on set with me and I share my thought process behind scouting locations, posing and directing models, lighting and post-production. You get to see the entire shoot from start to finish, from surface in Sri Lanka using a single speed light to character portraits on the streets of Sicily using daylight or high-end studio shoots where I share all my posing and connecting hacks. There's also regular photo critiques, monthly live calls and heaps more. As a member, you'll also have access to my exclusive Facebook group and online forum where you'll be able to connect with other members from all over the world. So what are you waiting for? Join the Gold community today and start taking the kind of photos you've always dreamed of. You can check it out at ginamilitia.com. All right, so this week is Craig Wetgen from Personal Projects to a Book Deal. Tell us about Craig, Gina. Yeah, so uh, Craig's a, like I first uh, met Craig uh, many years ago when he got me to come in and speak to one of his business classes. He's a, a photography lecturer at a university and I came in and chatted to them. That's the first time we met. And then we recently uh, reconnected at the Bright Festival of Photography. So uh, while mm. I was there, I said, I'm going to need to get you on the show and talk about what you've been doing. I think he's got a really interesting story. So he's a national an international award-winning professional photographer and he's an artist and he's also the best-selling author and uh, of, of a book called Men in Their Sheds and he's been doing this for a long time, like 33 years in the photography industry. Mm. And like what's super interesting, imagine this for the uh, being able to geek out. He started his photography career. Uh, he worked in a newspaper in Connecticut in the USA and then he got a gig, get this, at NASA. <laughs> working That's at the cool. jet propulsion. Just imagine, so, hey, what do you do? I work for NASA. NASA, like, yeah. How impressive cool. is that? And uh, he got to document like the Mars Pathfinder and Saturn's Cassini projects. And, wow. uh, and Yeah, I know. Can you imagine? Totally cool stuff. And yeah. then he moved to Australia where in 1996 he established Melbourne's 
uh, RMIT University's first digital imaging subject. So 1996, so that's like I got on board digital, I thought I was an early adopter in 2000, but 1996, that's like four years before. So the cameras were sort of, it was just starting digital. So he, he started the first digital imaging subject. And then uh, he's gone on to as I said, publish a book called um, Men in Their Shed uh, mm. and uh, it uh, sold out and uh, it's been a bestseller as well and it documents uh, 101 men and their relationships with the shed cool. and, uh, and it has and how that relationship has to their physical and mental health. And so, yeah, mm. so he's still working on lots of personal projects and he's also got a new project that he's working on at, called Project Street and it's also... Uh, already raised about around 19,000 for local charities. So he's out there, he's getting stuff done. So uh, he's also had lots of exhibitions and uh, won awards. So yeah, it's uh, very cool. Shall we have a listen to the uh, interview? Absolutely. Here's Craig Wetchen. Craig Wetchen, welcome to the show. How are you going? Good. How are you, Gina? Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on the show. We were just having a little chat before I press record and always the case, so much good stuff. So hopefully we'll revisit some of the stuff that we talked about. Before we start, where in the world are you? Where in the world I I am? I am uh, just at the base of the Yarra Valley in Moorabark, so just outside of Melbourne. Excellent. And um, so we met, what was it? Was it about five years ago? Um, we did. We met. Um, you came in as a guest speaker in one of my classes when I was teaching the business of photography. Yeah. And um, and then we sort of semi parted ways. Um, yet I followed you on Instagram uh, as as people tend to do, uh, and um, and then we ended up catching up at the Bright Festival of Photography a couple of months ago and had a great yeah. chat. And uh, yeah, got to really. Uh, get to know each other a bit further and uh here we are today it was good for that and you ran a fantastic workshop where you had um uh what was it a, a blacksmith shed that you a blacksmith workshop that you were you had your students photograph him in action and then it was a brumby stable is that right Correct, correct. Yeah, so uh, I ran um, two two workshops. Uh, ran them four times. Ran them two, two each. Um, so one yeah. was at a blacksmith, working blacksmith, um, and basically ran the whole the whole. I guess uh, workshop is teaching a little bit uh, about the light and understanding the environment that you're in, and then how you want to pose the subject. Uh, and then photograph the subject using the light and the action of, say, something with the blacksmith, uh, you know, and sparks flying around. And boy, I tell you, yeah. I love the sparks. They could, I mean, they just were, they had cameras on motor drive. It was fantastic. Yeah, and it looked amazing. And uh, there's actually an example in the show notes, which is one of your shots. Uh, is that him there? In, in that is the, him. That you sent me, yeah. And Correct. it's like you get all this, this, the, the beautiful sparks but you've also managed to balance the uh, ambient light with uh, and picking up the texture in the workshop. So um, correct, beautiful stuff. And the other the other workshop that you did was with the with the Brumbies. Was it wild? Yeah, fantastic because you Brumbies. had 
uh, up in Bright, there, there's like the beautiful landscape, but you also had uh, all the dust kicking up and you managed to set these workshops at a time when you've got the sun low in the sky, backlighting all the, the, the dust that's rising up and just uh, made for some gorgeous images, a fantastic idea. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was um, it was an opportunity that um, when it was presented to me about you know doing this, and I'm like, oh, this is just. And I knew right then and there when um, when the person was offered um, up to me, I contacted him and I looked at his website and I looked at his location, and uh, I'm like, now this is. I knew exactly what needed to be done and, and needed to be done at that 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 end of day, the sunset. Um, you know, and just to be able to get that richness of light and utilizing the environment. Um, but the breaking of the Brumbies was so much fun because it was actually watching um, how uh, this individual actually works with a wild horse that he was mm. breaking in to become, uh, to be ridden. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to, to be able to have that the photographers everybody that was running around to have flashes jumping up and down and that this this brumby um didn't really flinch much with that with all the light that was going on and uh it's just so much fun so much fun yeah and just all those extra elements that just help help uh add sort of the romance to the story like you know imagine just the Brumby without all the dust rising and without the backlighting, it kind of uh, becomes a bit flat and uh, lacks the romance. But then add the dust, add the backlight, and suddenly you've got a magical image, which is, uh, I think, what I, I loved about those. Just on that, um, yeah. when you're scouting locations, what's your thought process and what 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 do you do to to find the right location are you using um uh, anything like google maps to to search the location or are you physically going there how, how do you how do you scout locations um i i go via yeah google maps is my best friend and i also look at um if if they've ever had their photos taken um by mm. somebody or if they ever had, you know, you know, for the shed, for example, the blacksmith, you know, I looked at, did he have anything photographed of him in his shed? And he really didn't have much. Um, and the Brumbies, you know, he had all kinds of photos for the Brumbies. And, and then that, that's when I sort of looked at with the Brumbies is I really wanted to address it, not just from the standpoint, like I did with the, the blacksmiths, which was just the traditional environmental portrait. Yeah, um, the Brumby. I wanted to to attack it more of the photo essay, because I think right. a lot of times people forget um, there's a, there's a story that goes beyond just one single photograph, and that's when you can use a photo essay of you know ten to twelve images to help tell a whole enveloping story of of an environment. Yeah. Yes, you have the the synonymous um, environmental portrait. So, but then you've got to have all the superfluous sort of shots, the action and, and uh, with the action, that's what I really found intriguing um, by watching my students is to uh, really allow them to play further um, with their shutter speeds. So for example, to get a slow shutter speed, to add that, uh, that element of motion. And I think that's a huge point of departure 
for photographers um, learning photography. They can run around all day long taking beautiful pictures. Um, but when you can slow down and you can actually now slow down the world to create motion, you can still get an absolutely awesome, beautiful photograph with dust all over the place, hooves move, moving, uh, person subject moving, or even you moving with the subject, you know, for example, yeah. panning type type thing. That's a huge point of departure for any um, new and up and coming photographer is to play with those shutter speeds. So that's really where I attacked that one. But yeah, the, the, the Google maps is really where, you know, the Brumby one was my biggest, uh, because I knew the direction of the sun. I sort of saw how the direction of his, his property was. And I said, this is a perfect sunset. And I, I prayed to the gods of, of the universe to give me uh, a beautiful sunset and both nights were perfect sunsets perfect yeah yeah and the images were superb and and mm. so well that's a matter of like not not just bowling up to a location and hope because you can uh the the photo gods i find will gift you a beautiful photo like that one every 50 or something like that where you'll just stumble on something and it's all happening the lights in the right spot the there's dust there's brumbies there's everything and you'll get the shot but for consistently good photos i think you need to plan and think well where is the sun what time should i get here do i get there a bit earlier and work the shot rather than uh, just hope that you'll fluke it yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, going now going into the to the blacksmith, you know, that's a that's a more controlled environment. Yeah. So if we were to look at the blacksmith in comparison to my Men in Sheds book, yeah. Um I don't need to pre-scout um a location because I'm pre-scouting when I'm actually with the individual. Uh so for all of the 101 individuals in my book, I spent more time in conversation uh-huh. with the individual, getting to know who they were and observe their environment while they were talking and allow them to take ownership of the photo. Yeah. That's sort of when I did my scouting was during that conversation. Um, and they ended up posing themselves. That's really interesting that you say that. that and that, I think, is uh, takes uh, a bit of confidence to be able to um, walk into a location like that where, where you've got uh, someone who is in their own environment, in an environment that they're comfortable with. Now, I think what many photographers would do, and I know I certainly did this when I was doing these sorts of uh, portraits and I did a lot of this sort of people in the, in their homes and in their environments for the magazine industry, there was a lot of at home kind of shots. So, but I would go in as a, as a young photographer and then I would um, foist my idea onto that person and, and then light the, the crap out of the shot, like overlight everything and overpose the people so that it became uh, something that wasn't real. It was just like my idea of how they should be. So, and what you're talking about is there is a moment when you walk in and you're doing a portrait of someone that they actually give you the shot. And it's uh, somewhere in between, like at first, often people are nervous. 
hundred percent. They tend to they they tend to relax, and it's like it's knowing when they give you the shot. And so, how do you know that uh, when they've given it to you? Is it is it a muscle that you've trained that you see, or is there a feeling that you get? That's the shot. I know it. It's a. Um, <clears throat> it's just. A, I think it's a intuitive feeling of yep. when you. You know, look, I talk about it all, all the time in, in my my public speaking about why I did my book. But, you know, there's a book that I, I find um, fascinating and there's a lot of people have read it, um, which is How to Win Friends and Influence People by yep. Dale Carnegie. No, it, yep. And um, to get to know somebody is to show genuine interest in what they do. So I spent more time and getting to know them and talking about their shed, talking about what they do in their environment. And sometimes it came down to them showing me a tool that they're, you know, a lot of times I brought up, what was your, what's your favorite tool here in this shed? And then they'd spend, you know, half an hour, you know, pouring their life story of how they actually came about even um, acquiring the tool how the tools actually used and um and now it just it's become a fixture in my shed and you go okay and they're sitting there and they're 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 just standing there and all of a sudden you're like they've just posed for you i said you know what i love exactly how you're sitting right now because actually the light is perfect on you i'm just going to add a couple more uh you know two more lights to you or one more light um and uh, they're right there for you. And they're like, cool. How do you want me to pose? I said, I don't want you to pose. You already posed for me. And that becomes a laughing. Uh, you know, you, you end up having humor in there. And I think that's yeah. when you have humor, um, it shows, uh, you know, humility. Um, yeah. It shows um, it shows they're actually relaxed, you know, because the amount of the amount of times I walked up to because uh, a lot of all these guys that I. I went to, you know, a lot of them, most of them were all through a phone call. And uh, when I'd show up, they'd point me to the shed. You can go, you know, to the sheds out the back. And I said, yeah, I know that, but let's have a cup of coffee, a cup of tea or a beer. Like, oh, yeah, that's great. Because, um, you know, they don't they don't want to be in it. Uh, and I'm like, you have to be in it. No, 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 I'm not going to be in it. And so many times that they would go, you know, they would pose themselves. How do you want me? Because I allowed them to take ownership of the photograph, I'm just the one capturing it. And you know that that in itself was pointed out to me on numerous occasions by, um, you know, many people that have bought my book, um, which I'm yeah. so just unbelievably honored that I get this feedback about how all these individuals look just so relaxed and just so part of their environment okay so on that um so you're saying that they're giving you the shot but i believe that a, a good portrait is uh, a collaboration between the photographer and the the, the model and yep. you can only take as good a portrait as the connection that you have with that person. And so how that person stands and looks and how confident they feel in the frame 
has a lot to do with the photographer and and how they make that person feel. Yep. Can you speak on that? Yeah, well, that's how, you know, when I spent more time conversing with them, you know, average, average photo shoot time with all of the guys in my shed, in my book were probably, I think the shortest was about an hour and a half and the longest was six hours that I spent with one individual. So the six hour, what happened there? Oh boy, the six hours, um, Phil in Philip in my book, he, um, he showed me all six, seven or eight of his sheds. Um, he talked about, he talked about his, his, um, you know, hitting that, that 60 something. I don't know where I want to go for the rest of my life. Cause you know, I'm, you know, nearly at retirement age. Um, he was actually, you know, battling with a little bit of uh, a bit of depression. Um, yeah. and, he and I actually ended up shedding tears together just wow. over our conversation and just the amount of time we spent on conversation and then, you know, came back to that final, that one area in a shed and really realizing what an amazing connection we actually had on a photographic level as well. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it turned around and it's like, wow, it's like five hours later. Like, boy, we, we better get onto this photo shoot, shouldn't we? You know, it turned into a laughing thing. We spent more time talking than actually taking. And that's through probably all the book, my entire book. We spent more time talking than I did photographing. Um, on average, I'd probably take three or four photos out of the whole shoot um, of the individual, just, you know, three or four um you know, slightly different poses. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, and then I spent, you know, the last 15, 20 minutes photographing all the details that made up the shit. So, um, but it's it's about that conversation. And that's why I go back to that that book is getting the true sense out of one individual is to getting to, to know them. And that's why I find, for me, portraiture um, is... It's uh, such a personal thing, but yet when you can relate to an individual and you can converse with them, you can photograph almost anybody. Hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And there's something that you said in the and so in that six-hour conversation, and and you got a magic shot out of that. I think the more you give, the more you get back. And Absolutely. so. Um, I know I know when I was starting out that I had this idea in my head that this photographer was this cocky, you know, uh, I needed to be a bit full of myself, a bit aloof and just do that whole, yeah, baby, just do as I say. And But there was a complete disconnect with the person. And there was um, some people that I'd get a great photo of and other people where I'm like – it, it was their fault. I couldn't get a good photo of them. And then I realized I was the common denominator. Yep. No. And so if I changed my approach, and I think uh, you talk about the humility, uh, that's a game changer. It, absolutely. Um, you know, even with the, I transcribed all that to my wedding photography. So for, 
you know, running a wedding business now for 18 years. Um, and look, I don't do them as many as I used to, you know, one or two a year. But when I was doing 30, 40 a year, um, every single one of them, all of my clients always got a free um, portrait session or in, I call them, a, you know, a pre-wedding engagement photo session. Um, it was my opportunity for me, for them to relate to me rather than me just walking up on their wedding day and just saying, hi, I'm here. I'm ready to take your photos. Where if I, when I was doing all that pre-wedding photography, it, I became part of the family, if you know what I mean. Yes, so I get it. Yeah. So all my, all my wedding clients always got a free engagement session. Um, and that was uh, an opportunity to just photograph them or n understand how they related to be in front of the camera. So it made being in front of the camera on their wedding day that much easier. Well, they just feel more comfortable with you around or uh, the best thing to happen at a, a, like a long event, even if you do, you're documenting, is they forget you're there. Absolutely. Like they, don't they, they stop seeing the camera and everybody relaxes and you can get the shot. And I think the other crucial element is that of trust. And that's, I think, the big one. And when you're bowling into the, all these different locations, so these are guys that you're photographing in their sheds that have probably uh, never had a professional shoot before, don't know 100%. what's involved, maybe expect you to pull out a camera and take one frame. That's sort of developing that trust. Yep. How do you go? Is it that's just the chatting, having a beer, you being vulnerable um, with them? And then they in turn will, will offer something back, I guess. Are you offering up uh, some sort of story first to them to make them feel more comfortable? Well, it's the, the trust is um, the first part of trust is when they come in, when they, when they meet you first. And, you know, they're always reluctant to be parting with their hard earned money. Um, and that's that's the first trust I guess barrier you've got to break is when you've the first encounters when they walk in the door um, and they meet you face to face and you've got to break down that, that barrier and gain even more trust with them because they're, they're going to be parting with, you know, three, four, five thousand dollars. Mm. And they want you want to make sure as a, me as a photographer and as a business owner and as somebody who, you know, my living was predominantly out of wedding photography for a while is. Is break is building that trust and I used that portrait session to further enhance that trustworthiness that they're in good hands during the wedding and after the wedding, if you know what I mean. So it's that yeah. for you, you're just building that, that first level of trust is the first meeting. Then you're building that second level. Then that, that third level is because then they're, they're introducing you all to the family. You know, it's like building any relationship, you know, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, you know, when you first meet boy, first meets girl or, you know, vice versa, or, you know, whichever way you look at it. Um, 
it's that first initial, then you build the inner trust, then you build the outer trust, and then you become the family trust. Yeah. I love that idea of giving too without expecting anything in return. So here the couple come to you and they, they want to book you for the wedding. So the first thing you'll do for them is gift them the portrait session. Is that right? Yeah, the absolutely. Pre, and that's no strings. This is just something that I want to do that will give you these lovely pre-wedding photos that maybe they can use for the invitations or uh, just to have. And then uh, you're gifting your time. And then you're developing a relationship. I think that's a fantastic idea. Bit of try, try before you buy. It's a try before you buy. Have they committed to you at this point? To um, most of them, almost all of them, are always committed right then and there. Anyway, yep. so yep. Uh, but I gave them that opportunity, saying, "Look, um, all my packages include a free engagement portrait session." Um, if you're if you're not convinced after the free engagement portrait session, um, so be it. Um, but we can we can do that, and then you can make your final decision. Um, I would say about ten out of ten, uh, everybody Convert. just committed straight away. It's that no like trust, right? Yeah. So right. They get, it's just in the getting to know you that they then they like you, and the, after that they trust you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I wonder if how, how you could work that into um, every photography session and of every genre. Um, well, yeah. I mean, if you look at product photography, you've got to get to know how light interacts with a product. Mm. Um, just like when you buy a camera, the first thing uh, I, you know, I just bought a new uh, Olympus. Um, yep. and I, I. Dare I said, I poured over the manual. You uh, read the manual. You're read, one of those. I actually read the manual. <laughs> um, and a lot of people don't read the manual. But, you know, when you look at a product, it's the same thing when you buy, get a product and you're going to be photographing a product. You need to know the product. Yeah. You need to see how, how is this going to fit on a table? How is this going to, how is light going to interact with it? Yeah. Um, and you know, with people, same thing. You or, or uh, even uh, uh, architecture. You know, you look at architecture. You know, is it going to photograph better in the morning? Is it going to photograph better at night? Is it going to? You know, you got to pick the right time of day. Yeah. Um. And you know, I always say, there's no such thing as bad light. It's good light being used wrong. Oh, that's great. I love that. So, on your photography, how how did you get started? What, what, what was, was there a, was it this, this childhood dream of yours? I always want to be a photographer or did, did you stumble on it? How, how, how did you break into the industry? Um, gosh, I, I actually still have, um, my first camera and I'm staring at it here in my studio. Oh. Um, and it's an Agfa Billy 16, a six by nine, um, little bellows. Wow. Film camera, yeah, nineteen forty-five Agfa Billy. Um, wow! I had that. Gosh, I'm trying to really go back, um, Gina. Here and uh, the farthest I can remember back is ten years old. Um, is when I used this camera, and um, I do still have the original negs of this camera, and I just was enthralled with the whole process of creating an image 
and using the environment that was around me. So at that time, I was just um, loved landscape photography and I just wanted to be Ansel Adams. Right. And, um, well, I wasn't at that time, you know, at 16, I wasn't um, going to be coming Ansel Adams anytime soon, but I ended up working at a, at a, uh, you know, one hour photo lab and doing and printing everybody's holiday snaps. Yeah. Um, doing color correcting. And then I, you know, got progressed up to, uh, working in the dark room, um, and then, uh, making people's enlargements. And then I had an opportunity to shoot, um, uh, for local newspapers. Cause I was out always photographing my brother or my friends on the baseball field. If I wasn't on the baseball field playing myself or yeah. the ice hockey rink playing myself, I was out there photographing my classmates or my brother. And is that how you honed your skills? Is that how you taught? What, did you have formal training? No, I had no formal training whatsoever. I just uh, then started just doing photojournalism and photographing for all the local newspapers in Connecticut in the U.S. And did you have any mentors there at the newspaper that would take you aside and go, listen, mate, just uh, maybe up your shutter speed or try this or try that? I had none. My, my, wow. my mentors were, were just reading magazines. Um, and, but I, my, I would say probably my biggest mentor was the, the owner of the, the, the photo store, the one hour photo store. Cause you know, he'd always point me in certain directions and I mean, he would look at my photography as well and he would say, try this and try that and try this. And, but magazines right. is I just read, I read, read yeah. and read. There's no such thing as the internet then. None. It didn't yeah. exist. And um and working in the photo labs and working with like minded people. So surrounding yourself with the like minded people. Um and yeah, I mean uh, from a mentor standpoint, I didn't have an on the field mentor, but I, I do remember standing sh- shooting a baseball game and this guy was standing next to me. We're just chit-chatting away as we we're shooting. And I just I, I had to have said something that I wanted more from my photography and wanted to learn more. And he goes, well, look, you know, the only place I can think of that you, if you're going to grow your photography is to go to a college called Brooks Institute of Photography in Santa Barbara, California. And I'm like, really? Well, there you go. So, but even when, even then, and it's funny, Gina, I was cleaning out my, um, stuff at my parents this past year. I just went back to the States a month ago yeah. and I was cleaning out uh, a locker of mine in my, in my parents' basement. And I found a letter that I wrote to Sports Illustrated. <laughs> and um, back in 1986, I think I'm going to have to dig up the letter, but 1986 is how can I become a photojournalist shooting for Sports Illustrated? And they gave me, I didn't expect a letter, but I gave, they gave me a letter. Um, and wow, what a, what a journey that was. Um, you know, so I learned from so many different photographers, Walter Oos, who's an American photojournalist. He was one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So that's how I learned. That's how I learned. And then, yeah, moving to California and I got my degree in industrial scientific photography Whoa. Brooks Institute of Photography in Santa Barbara. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty intense, which um, 
led me into being able to photograph and work at NASA for- How uh, cool. Let's talk about that. Yeah. What's it like working for NASA? I know. Um, it was, oh, look, it was freaking cool. That's all yeah. I can say. I mean, I was, you know, that was the dawn of digital photography. Uh, I held some of the very first digital cameras um, ever. So what day. year is this? This was in 1994, 1993, 1994, um, yeah, 93, 94. Um, and that's when, um, yeah, I did an internship at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. And uh, I did all the documentary from photographing you know, satellite parts and circuit boards on on a you know simple blue you know, blue sweep backdrop to with going di- out with the- digital. You were using digital in '94. Yeah, '93. And what file size were they? Um, like two megapixel. Yes. This is the Kodak DCS. Seven sixty. No, I've got. I actually the- have the camera sitting here in my hand. It's the DCS. Uh, I got to get my glasses on. DCS, yeah, two hundred is the one I've got in my hand. So, so it must be like, yeah, because I got the seven sixty, I think, in two thousand or two thousand and one. Uh, DCS two hundred. So it's an early, early model of that. Wow. Yep. One megapixel, two megapixel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I was shooting film uh, as well as, as well. everything was done transparency. Yeah. Um, and some neg. Uh, yeah, it was, so I photographed mainly the Mars Pathfinder and the, uh, Saturn Cassini project. So it was all the satellite parts. It was great. How cool. It's great. So one of the things that I loved about, um, that, uh, I got to actually handhold the framework of Cassini. So I always, wow. I, I kept saying to all my friends, my handprints are going to go to, go to Saturn. Wow. And so, yeah, so that, and that was all product photography, obviously. That was all so product. Look- oh, there was some people photography as well. What, astronauts? Um, no, astronauts. It was more executives. It was uh, scientists and shooting their portraits um, in their labs. Um, so you're photographing people at the cutting edge of science. Absolutely. Like these are the these are the these are the guys and girls who just like ascending, you know, things to Mars and 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 Saturn and amazing. Yep. Absolutely, so, digital artists. Were you using your connection skills with these guys? Were you chatting? Um, yeah, obviously, I was chatting. All you know, uh, all. <sighs> You know, at that time I was 23. So were you confident because, like, we were not intimidated by these people? Because a lot of people would think, okay, I've got to photograph a scientist. I don't know anything about this sort of stuff. It's best I just keep my mouth shut. Or did you just ask lots of questions? No, just ask lots of questions. Great. Always ask questions. Always because if you're not asking questions, you're never going to, you're never going to receive. So, um, and I, I think, um, maybe it's just my, my demeanor. Um, I just, I'm a people person. I love talking yeah. to people. Um, I've done, I've even previous 
to that. I mean, Brooks was always encouraging of doing assisting work. So I was always going down to L.A. Um, and assisting whether I was doing automotive car shoots or fashion photography or product photography. So um, you just you got to be in it to win it. Yeah, You're not so it sounds it, like you it. dabbled in everything to start with. Like, so you got a very broad education and then specialized from there. Is that right? Tried it all, absolutely yeah. tried it all. And um, you know, I sit there sometimes. Uh, I go, you know, everybody out in the audience is going to say, "How come you didn't stay?" Because I was offered to stay and I didn't stay because keep I, working for NASA. I was offered to stay on uh, as a full-time photographer, and I, I didn't. I, I was that a girl? Was that because of a girl? No. Oh. No. Unfortunately, no girl was going to stop me from my photographic career. Uh, right. I did have one girlfriend that tried to, and um, I politely showed her the front door because yeah. she asked me to make a choice between her and my education in photography, and I said, oh, wow, wow, guess what? Well, that wasn't going to go anywhere. Uh, Front door's right there. Don't let yeah. it hit you. Uh, yeah. So I sort of, but I don't know. I just wanted, I don't know what I wanted. I just wanted more from photography. So ended up then So that going, wasn't enough to be working at NASA. You just felt like there was more out there for you. There's just more out there. So mm. I ended up moving to Seattle, Washington for um, eight months, uh, shooting food photography and doing um, commercial headshots. Uh, yeah. Just doing assisting. But every once in a while, I get thrown behind the camera and having to shoot. So, and I had the opportunity to come to Australia at that time as well. So I knew sort of where I was going. Um, that was the interim and uh, moved over here in 1996. So I'm coming up to 24 years yeah. in Australia. Are you an Australian now? Do you classify yourself because you've lived here longer than you've lived in the States? Almost longer. How do you feel? Almost longer. Um, yeah. I, um, I became an Australian in 2016. Yeah. On but how did you feel going home? Did you feel I'm home or when, when you came here? Because it's confusing because I ask my mother this all the time. I'm like, are you an Italian or are you an Australian? Because you've lived here for, you know, 50, 60 years and only in Italy for 20, which is which. And she says, I'm a bit of both, but I'm confused. And I don't I'm feel confused. like either is my home. Yeah, I'm confused too. Look, I, I will always be um, an American mm. um, or a, a U.S.-based American because American can be South America too. Yes. But um, I will always that will always that will always be there. But I consider myself uh, as Aussie as Aussie can be. Um, yeah. I, you know, I do love the cricket. Believe it or not. Wow. I'm not an Aussie rules football fan, but I will go. I do you know, enjoy going and having a party pie and a, and a footy dog. But um, <laughs> even going back uh, back to the States a month ago, I was itching to come back home. This is home for me. This is where this is this is home. This is where I have my family. That's interesting. Um, and, um, you know, I won't get rid of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving will always be my um, – be my holiday of choice, which is an American-based Thanksgiving, you know, holiday, but I'll share it with my Aussie friends. Yeah. So what so, got you here? What got me here? So I, I was offered to come over to get my master's degree at RMIT and introduce digital capture at Excellent. RMIT. Excellent. So, so you created the first digital capture course at RMIT. At, at RMIT, correct? correct. 
In what year was that? That was in 1997 was when the, when the subject got up and running. Wow. And was there a bit of resistance? Because I can remember as a photographer and then going, nah, it's never going to take off. It's never going to amount to anything. Was what nah, I, kept was, hearing. I, I had all the support from uh, my fellow staff, uh, yep. even from my supervisor, you know, wrote the subject, um, you know, did all the, the homework of, you know, which camera will be the best and, you know, which camera will not be the best and you know unfortunately that that time that that time it was still it was a four by five based camera um the 35 mils didn't really have the quality for um you know to get the speed or or, you know just didn't have the quality so i stuck with a four by five style camera and um yeah just sort of grew from there and uh yeah, that was, gosh, you're really reminiscing my, my history here. Wow, it's a blast from the past. But I think, like, being successful as a photographer today, back then, any any time in history is about the ability to be able to embrace change, and, and particularly uh, now, this, this area that we're living in, uh, change is happening so much faster, and you, you see there's a lot of resistance. Oh, like, even in the switch from... DSLR to mirrorless I resisted that for a long time I'm still resisting a little bit but I'm starting to embrace it and because we're all I think uh programmed to resist change in some way we fear it but it's in when you jump in and you say all right this is new I'm going to give it a go it's like more the the fear of the thought of what could go wrong rather than when you're in it you go oh this is actually quite good I can see the advantages and it's just getting your head around a different way of thinking. Correct. The, the fear, the, you, you highlighted it twice, um, is fear. The only thing, it's just, you know, cliche statement, but the only thing you have to fear is fear itself and yeah. bracing the change. I think, uh, you know, I was probably in my own detriment um, was I was, Always a fear when I was running my business was to sell the the high res files. Right. So I, I embraced personally shooting. I bought my first digital camera in in two thousand and six. Yeah. And um, I never I re- adamantly refused to sell my high res files. It, you you had to have them printed. You had to have an album, and that was probably my to my detriment because. Right. People were then not not booking me because I wasn't selling the high res files. Yep. Um, so I didn't embrace that aspect of the change, but embracing the digital change, just change in general. Um, cameras are going to um, change ever so quickly, and you know, as I said before, I bought my first mirrorless, and I was adamant I would never buy a mirrorless. I couldn't stand them. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't even stomach it because I just Agreed. couldn't bring myself to see the real world through the viewfinder rather than looking through the viewfinder and just seeing, you know, a screen, although it's the, the real world. EVF, yeah. And, and it's weird because that's the exact reaction we all had to digital. No, it's not real photography. Real photography is film. Yep. 
And then we had to embrace digital and then it took a little while, but there was a lot of people saying this will never, it's still not. And there's still people that believe that film is the way to go. It's, it's different. That's all as is the shooting experience with mirrorless. But I think when it all comes down to it, a good shot is a good shot. And it doesn't matter if it's shot on a film camera, mirrorless or digital, it's, still you need to use all the principles of photography to achieve that shot. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the best tool that you have is the tool that you have in your hand. Um, you know, there's, there's times that mirrorless won't work. Mm. If you're working in a dark studio and you're trying to focus or you're working in a, in a dark environment, um, an event, you know, you might not use a mirrorless because there's not enough light. You know, those sorts of things when, you know, if you've got a mirrored camera, you can actually see a bit more um, in a dark situation. But yep. you've got to adapt and you've got to change you, the way you see the world as well and the way you use the world around you when it comes to the technology that you have in your hands. Exactly. Let's get back to this uh, Men in Their Sheds project that you did. How what what was the decision to do that like because here you are you're you're working along doing your commercial uh wedding photography i imagine at this point yeah i was doing my wedding and portraits um you know obviously i had the odd um you know commercial shoot in there as well but um i was trying to find other avenues um to grow uh myself and grow the business um and have another income stream and it was in a discussion that I had with my wife back in um, 2009, because the first shot I took was of my father-in-law in 2010. And um, she said, I want you to photograph my dad in his shed, because that's just how he loves. He just, we always know. We've always known dad in his shed. That's all he yeah. does. That's always, that's exactly how we know him. And, and I want you to do that. And I'm like, okay. And I did that. And I sat there and I was saying to my wife, I think I might be onto something here. And I think I could use this and I can actually photograph these men in their sheds. I can sell them. Again, I'm thinking money wise, sell yeah. them, um, you know, the, the family, a, uh, an heirloom photographic piece yeah. that they can, they can share of what they know their dad um, of in their shed, in his shed. And so I presented the idea with some friends and then I ended up photographing one of my friend's fathers. And then he ended up bringing me to five of his friends and five of his friends brought me to, you know, I kept just growing yeah. from that standpoint and after probably the first, um, I think it was after the first 10 to 15 photographs, I then had uh, basically I had a mental breakdown um, because A, no one was buying the prints. No one yeah. was interested in, in the photos themselves. Um, and I wasn't making any money out of it. And at this time, I sort of wrote a business uh, a, a project plan of how I wanted this to go because I still had the book in mind. I had the yeah. prints in mind. I had an exhibition in mind, but it was about the selling 
of the you're bank. focused on the money. I was focused on the money, and then I had a uh, I had a health scare in December of 2011. And uh, I was diagnosed with chronic lymphatic leukemia. And it was then and there, um, and it's exactly, um, what are we, 2018. So uh, it was exactly seven years ago that it was presented to me. And um, I thought my life was over. Honestly, What was the prognosis at diagnosis? Um, well, I just see a doctor every year. Um, yep. basically, um, I just have one number in my blood count. That's not, uh, that goes up and down, up and down. So I just see my specialist every year, no treatment needed because there's, oh, you haven't had any treatment. No, no treatment. No, because there's no symptoms to treat, but I just have one number that needs to be monitored. Um, and that's the lymphocyte count. So just, you know, normal of four, I'm up at you know, 18 and 23, it fluctuates with that. Right. So, um, so I, ma- I imagine that would have just actually scared the hell out of you at that point oh. when you got that diagnosis and then suddenly your whole world, as you know it, it's, it's like getting the rug pulled out from under you. Scared the bejesus out of me. You mm. know, it was one of those things. I honestly thought I wasn't going to see the end of, you know, anything that I was working on. And But I, 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 I sat back. You know, seven years ago, and I go, you know what? No, I know what I need to do. And that's when I changed the whole mindset as I reflected back on my, what I had already done. Um, obviously made sure I sought the counseling over my, my breakdown because my business wasn't making any money. I wasn't, couldn't so, pay the mortgage, if you know what I mean. Let's just go back. So yep. the, the, you had the, the the project the men in their sheds project yep and that wasn't going as planned correct right so it wasn't making you any money then there's the diagnosis correct and then as a result of i, I guess both um overwhelming factors correct you then had a nervous breakdown is that the first one in your life with with it with it was there an other history of that or is this this the first time um there's a little bit of uh, a bit of history i mean i've had other health concerns that have presented themselves and then ended up being um, negative. So I have dealt with some mild depression and anxiety in the past. Um, So uh, I just sort of knew what I had to do. And uh, I knew that I wasn't going to sit back and wallow in my sorrow, if you like. I, I, I sought the help that I, that I, uh, I needed. I made sure I saw my GP. Um, I made sure that my family were aware of what was going on. So I was in full communication with everybody, That's and right. as well as communication with myself and a specialist, um, you know, a counselor to talk about this sort of stuff. Because you can't internalize this. Because if you internalize it, you go nuts. Yeah. So um, it. And that's when I really sat back with this diagnosis and I'm like, you know, I know, I know exactly what I need to do. I'm going to use this as, as, a, as a launching pad to raise the awareness of how important it is to look after yourself mentally and physically and what men do in their sheds um, with their hands um, in their sheds to assist them with their mental and physical um, aspects 
And that's when I flipped the whole project, changed the, the project plan, removed all money off the table uh, whatsoever. And it became more about the, the, the mission of what it actually stood for. So you had a massive why that came into yeah. it that was other than I want to make money. You wanted to help other people uh, understand uh, some of these issues. And then what happened? <laughs> um, it just, it, it, I took my time with the project. Yeah. I wasn't going to, I wasn't, wasn't going to race through it. Um, yeah. I, so just going back at, at that point where you're um, diagnosed with the, uh, like uh, having a breakdown, were you uh, physically able to work during that time or did you take some time off to just, some care for yourself and recover or no, did you... I didn't take any time off I just wow got... so but so was there anxiety was it difficult to leave the house some days oh absolutely yeah absolutely and how did you what how, how did you get out of the house what 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 um what techniques did you do, use I used my photography and being able to get, to... so someone what? was relying on you you needed to, to to get out and do it for them well, it's just really, it was just getting back to the why I got into photography in the first place was to create yeah. an image and to create an image and the true sense of the word photography and using light to draw an image and to bring someone's personality out of the picture. Um, I really just wanted to focus it because the men use the sheds as their vehicle of, um, you know, to whether getting out of the house or, or doing something. I was using photography as my vehicle of, um, you know, to, to rid the, the anxiety, to rid the depression. I was enveloping myself into the actual craft of photography. Um, that's photography really was your shed. Photography is my shed. Absolutely. Yeah. Photography is my yeah. shed. Yeah. And that's sort of, that's sort of written what I wrote in the back of my book is about, you know, crafting the image. And photography was my shed, and it still is my shed. And, so it's uh, this, uh, the fact that you got out of your head or in that sort of, in, you know, that sort of spiraling, just, just thinking about yourself to um, thinking about the project, that kind of did that help um, get you through that, that, uh, that episode? Yeah, absolutely did. Um, I mean, and I still, I still struggle today every once in a while, you know? Um, but I, I, I just use, I just use it to get out of my head and into the real world. Mm. Cause you can spend too much time in your head and not enough mm. time putting one foot in front of the other. Because that's what's real. Um, what's not real is what's in your head. What's in your head is ideas. Oh, it's all made up. That's, that's where all, all made the, up. That's where all the suffering comes from. We either think about uh, stuff that's gone past, that, that that's over, that we lament the past, or we fear the future. Yeah. The thing that is most healthy about photography is it forces you to be in the moment. And when you're in the moment, you can't be either depressed or anxious because this moment is real. No, absolutely. You know, um, I love to, you know, talking to my students about spraying and praying um, when they're shooting, you know, they can sit there and go all day long, but 
did you do that all day long with um, with a reason? Um, you know, <laughs> I want students, uh, anybody who I teach, is that when you look through the camera, look through it, that camera with purpose. Um, and then when you're ready and you think you you think you're ready, look at all the settings and then press the trigger. Um, but don't press the trigger and then go press it once. You don't need to press it two, three, four, five, six times. You've you've already got it. You know, you go back to film days, you know, you only had whether it was 24 or 36 or, you know, in, in hustle blood days, 12. Hmm. Um, you only had those. So I shot a wedding once. I, had, I shot a wedding on, on Hasselblad. It's 12 frames. You went, yeah. you went with 10 rolls. You got 120 yes. photos. No, Nowadays, you know, you shoot a roll, you shoot film, you had 10 rolls at 36, then it went to 360. Then now you're shooting digital 2, and you've got 128 gig cards and you can shoot 2,000 frames exactly. on a card. And 1,900 a shot. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we, I think we talked earlier, um, we were talking earlier about, you know, um, life and, uh, you know, you can equate to photography is, is like when you're growing up that, you know, the first five years, you're an infant. So the first yeah. five years of photography, you're, you're only an infant. You're, st yeah. you're still trying to learn how to walk, crawl and communicate. Yeah. Um, and then you're, you're 10 years. Well, that's when you're starting to engage the environment and engage with you know, uh, society. And then when you're in your twenties, that's when you're, your maturity, you know, they talk about, you know, the human brain doesn't mature until you're in your twenties. Hmm. So let's talk about that photography. You're not going to mature photographically until 20 years in. Well, you train that muscle and it's, I think, like you say, that spraying and praying comes with a lack of confidence. You'll overshoot and overshoot and second guess yourself, but the, the shot was there. It's just a matter of trusting your gut and knowing that you got it and, and saying, I, I, and, and that's also, you talk about that uh, shooting intuitively when you're with the men in their sheds, there's a moment where they give you the shot. It's learning to recognize it. That's the, the key, I think. So, and that comes with repetition. Yep. And the more you do it, you say, well, that moment happened. I picked it. And I got it right. And then you do it again and it happens again. And then eventually you go, all right, my gut, I trust my instinct to get this shot. And then you don't need to uh, spray and pray or try 50 different lighting styles to get the shot. You trust that you know what you're doing. But I think that comes with uh, time and experience. The yep, training absolutely. that muscle. Yeah, absolutely. And um so the more you get out there and practice and try to get that one shot, consider what you're taking. Um, and that's why, you know, film photographers, uh, if you start off with film, well, you've got to consider each frame because then you own the photograph when you actually develop it. Yeah. Um, because it, you, you slow down the world instead of this, you know, burr, 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 and then you spend hours in front of the computer when you should have spent five extra minutes waiting for the last actually hit your subject correctly or pose your subject correctly um, or show up at the, at the at the right time of day to shoot the subject yeah um, you know I think that's really really important
All right, we just have to have a little pause there while Craig took a call, but uh, I've got you back now. Um, let's uh, let's just go on to your, like your latest project now, which is uh, Project Street. Do you want to just tell us about that quickly? Yeah, sure. Um, it's something that uh, a friend of mine and I, a uh, friend of mine, my, my good friend Steve Scalone, um, he and I were chatting at one uh, at an uh, AIPP APA uh, drinks party night. This has gone back quite a few years and we were talking and I said to him, I said, Oh, really, would it be great to get together and do, um, you know, get a bunch of photographers together and do a collaborative, um, sort of street shoot. And, um, and then we do an exhibition and, um, of everybody's photography and yeah, yeah, yeah. So we sort of, we sort of talked about it and then we let it, let it go. And then got back together. We saw each other throughout a couple of years and we just kept mentioning it and, and then um, two and a bit years ago, I said, Steve, we've got to make this happen. Cool. Awesome. So we we then saw each other at a gallery exhibition um, a couple of about a month later after he got back from the States. And I said, all right, let's start planning this. So we started planning the idea. And then I had the the extra idea of let's do it. Let's do it all in one day. Wow. Let's, let's literally go. We'll grab 30 photographers. We'll shoot one day. We'll exhibit on the same day. And then we'll auction the photographs off that same night for charity. Wow. So shoot, edit, print all in one day, all in one day and auction the photos on the same day for, for charity. And his eyes lit up with the idea. <laughs> I pitched the idea and we we're still at this, we we're still at this um, gallery exhibition opening. And I pitched to a few people um, there as well. And they're all just like, yeah, I'm in on that. I'm in on that. I'm in on that. I'm like, wow, I've got like six photographers inside of a half an hour. Yeah. Um, and this, um, this group's called the Map Group, which is many Australian photographers, which is a documentary-style group of photographers. And um, and I'm like, ooh, I think we're we're onto something. And uh, yeah, so we had our first one in Melbourne um, in 2016. Yeah. And we had over 200 people at the event, and we raised nearly thirteen and a half thousand dollars for charity. Fantastic. For kids undercover. Yeah. And I was like, I was mind boggling, mind, mind boggling. Um, so the idea is then to photograph, to go to each major city in Australia, do the same thing um, with 30 different photographers. Well, 28, because Steve and I are the, you know, the, so we organize. Yeah. So we have the to producers. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we charge the photographers $125 to participate. Yeah. Um, which gives them a little bit of an ownership of being part of the project, but it also helps helps us yeah. facilitate the actual event. You know, there's a boy, there's a lot of admin going on in it. Yeah. But um we went to uh Adelaide last year. Um this time last year we raised six and a half thousand dollars. We got Perth coming up on the eleventh of January. And then uh, we've just been asked to be a uh, head-on featured exhibitor at uh, in Sydney on May 18th. 
Fantastic. Um, and then we've just been invited over to New Zealand to go over and do it in New Zealand in June. Excellent. So, but the whole idea is to connect local photographers with the local community, with the local charity. Um, and again, bringing the local, bringing that sense of locality into understanding what photographers can um, envision of their local city. So it's that that win-win of involving local community, getting the local community to know who the photographers are, vice versa, the photographers knowing their local community and to raise that awareness for a local charity. So the end game will be a, a book um, of all the photographers' work. Um, so everybody that's in, in, the, in the project will be in the book. Um, and we're just doing it because we love photography. We love uh, – see, street photography uh, for me is, again, like landscape. You know, you can lose yourself for a couple of hours and you can see how light and the environment interacts with each other and you can come up with that one photograph. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I just find it really engaging because you engage your brain a little bit different than photographing a person. Although a lot of people have actually photographed people, um, as part of this project. So yeah, projectstreet.com.au is the, the project page. And, um, and if you're in Sydney and listening in Sydney, um, drop us a line and, uh, you can be part of the project. Um, and yeah, so that's sort of how that, that's how it's working and looking forward to Perth, looking forward to Sydney and looking forward to New, New Zealand. That's for sure. Sounds amazing. And I think the biggest takeaway from me is when you changed your why everything changed for you. Yeah. I, the why is, um, you know, look, I, I, in the same breath of what I'm going to say is is what I battle with is because we all have to have money to make a living. We all have to have money to keep the roof over our head, to um, put food on the table, put the kids through school. I mean, Gina, I paid a thousand dollars yesterday just for books. I know for two of my children to go off into high school. A thousand dollars books. I know. Wow. I know. Um, so you've got to make you've got to have money to keep the wheels turning and without it you can't keep it turning but you can keep it turning because no matter how you um, work as a photographer you've always got to be inventive creative and sometimes you've got to dodge when you should have weaved to be able to create something that you want to do that's just out of your own heart, just out of passion. Because when you create something with passion, things will follow. And that's, you know, talk about the whys. Um, sometimes you're not the why. Sometimes it's the others that are the why you're doing it because you come and tell. It's why you do it. Um, Simon Sinek, I'll have to find this quote. Um, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Yeah. And that was pointed out to me two years ago about why my, my men's shed book was so successful. It's not um, 
it, it, it was just that 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 quote just brought it all home. Um, and that's sort of why I'm doing the the Project Street is because it's about giving back. As much as you can take, um, you've also got to give back. And I think yeah. we don't give back enough. If you want to get more, give more. Correct. Mm. I think that's a good get- note to finish on, Craig. Uh, before I let you go, where can people find you? Uh, where people can find me, um, craigwetchen.com. So C-R-A-I-G-W-E-T-J-E-N.com. I'm on Instagram as Craig Wetchen Photographer. I'm on, to be honest, I use my Facebook on a very more of a personal note, but you can find my Men's Shed Photography Project on, on Facebook. You can find my business on Facebook under Photography by Design. All right, Craig, it's been an absolute pleasure today. Thanks again. Yeah, thank, thank you, Gina. I really on. appreciate it. Take it easy. Thanks. All right, so that was Craig Wetchen. Awesome stuff. Mm. Now, uh, we'll put the, the links, well, we'll put various links in the show notes where you can find Craig's Facebook page and uh, his website, and you can find the show notes at ginamilitia.com. Yep. Now, um, Gina, do tell. We spoke about uh, last episode, we spoke about some of the goals that people should be thinking about and planning for and articulating and writing down, which was your big thing yes. for 2019. Have you thought of some of your goals for 2019? Yes, but I haven't done that because we're not there at the end of the year, so I haven't done the actual process. And I think it's... Right, because we're what, pre-recording, yeah, we're pre-recording yeah, but, this. But you yeah. know what's interesting about the whole process of writing it down? You surprise yourself as you're writing them down. You go, oh, wow, really? Yeah, I do want that, you know? And it's in the – I find, personally, I know you list them in your head, don't you, Val? Uh, or you try no, no, and find someone to be account- – yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. as I'm writing them down – Maybe I started out wanting one thing, but then when I get really clear, because the 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 trick here is to be super clear about what you want and not to be like, I want to travel more. That's really, you know, wide and broad, but like, you know, to be super clear about my goals. And so I know with my photography goals that I do want to continue to improve my skill and, uh, keep going to next levels and improve my the way I connect with subjects to continue to simplify the photographic process so to uh, create more using less so less relying on gear and more about technique so I think that one of my major goals for the year will be, and and this is something that I did a lot of in 2018, will be to do more personal projects and more work on uh, developing my technique, the way that I shoot. So there's just a couple and I'll hone more down the track. All right, great. I love Mm. them. All right, Mm. yeah, I haven't gone through the process yet either, but... um, uh, um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. So you're off on your big adventure and we'll, we'll be back next week anyway. Next week, with yeah. An, 
with a new episode. So where do we find you online, Gina? So ginamilitia.com, that's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. And I'm on social media at ginamilitia for across all social media and mostly posting on Instagram and Twitter. You'll find me in the podcast Facebook group. It's free to join and it is Val. Just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community on Facebook and we'd love to see you in there. Yeah, and also if you want to connect with me in person, uh, I'm in the gold community and so that is at ginamilitia.com and click on join the community. I love teaching and love seeing where I can take you. So if 2019 is the year and one of your goals is to become a better photographer, then I would love the opportunity to work with you. What about you, Val? I love it. Join the community. Um, it's absolutely worth it. You'll find me at Valerie Koo. That's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram and also at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.